Well, good morning, Elevation, and welcome once again to the Mallow Home. Not in the dining room today, uh, we're in the living room. I decided since we're gonna be doing this frequently, might as well move things around a little bit. And I guess if this drags on long enough, maybe I'll eventually wander down into the cold room and you'll get to see every nook and cranny of this place, who knows. Well, here we are on Palm Sunday. This is the first of three consecutive services that we are walking through that are going to feel a whole lot different this time around. On Good Friday in the morning, we've got something we're preparing for our kids and we invite you to pull those resources from our website anytime after 9 a.m. And then in the evening, we're gonna to gather together in a live stream at eight o'clock uh, for a Good Friday reflection. We'll be getting together on Easter Sunday morning. That's gonna be a little different too. Usually we get together for a big pancake breakfast at 22 Willow. Uh, this year you're on your own for the pancakes. We'd encourage everyone to make them, have a big feast and then hop online again for our service at 11 o'clock. I've been thinking about this quote from Nelson Mandela after he spent 27 years in prison and then returned to his hometown. He said, there is nothing like returning to a place that remains unchanged to find the ways in which you yourself have altered. And I've been thinking about it because there's also nothing like returning to the same celebration that we hold every year to find the ways in which our entire world has altered. I know that some of you aren't fans of palm branches. In fact, I remember last Palm Sunday putting Chad Liebold on the spot because he was not waving his palm branch the way he should have. Um, but the rest of us are feeling kind of bummed out that we don't get to share in this experience together. I was thinking it's really sad. Uh, I got a note from Trillium's pastor, Stephen Larson. He said that they didn't cancel their palm branch order in time. And so they have all these palm branches sitting in a bucket at 22 Willow. And I was thinking about how sad that is, all these branches that will never be waved. Uh, we had a challenge this week to make some homemade palm branches, and so a number of people have done that. And at the conclusion of our service, uh, before we end our feed, we're going to throw some of those photos up, and you have a chance to see some of our homemade uh, palm branches this year. But palm branches aren't the only thing we're missing at this time of year. You see, Chad may not look forward to waving palm branches every spring, but I know that he looks forward to the onset of the Major League Baseball season, as I do. Uh, the other night after dinner, we were sitting around the table, and I had this idea uh, in sports, there's this thing called simulation where people will kind of predict how a player or how a team is, is going to do over the course of the year. They run these computer simulations. And so I was sitting around the table and I thought, wouldn't it be brilliant if someone used that technology that they do to predict how a player is going to do over the whole season and just do it one day at a time? Because if you just release the stats one day at a time, it would kind of feel like the season was actually happening. Uh, so you'd be able to like wake up in the morning and, and read the box score from the game before the night before. You wouldn't be able to watch the game or listen to it on the radio, but you'd be able to check in and see how your team's doing. Uh, so as I was envisioning this and having this kind of dream, uh, Jude is on his phone and then he turns around and he says, you mean like this? And so baseballreference.com has done this. They're using this technology and then basically every day they just plug it into the computer, what the matchups are. And so you can check out what's going on. Uh, so I was so excited about this. I was looking it up. I was telling the kids, I'm like, oh, so-and-so has four home runs already. This is great. And I'm like, oh, so-and-so really struggled the last time he pitched. And Jude looks at me, he says, but dad, it's not real. And I responded to him, I said, it's real in this house. So that's, that's how we're rolling in the Mallow House. We are, we are pretending that the baseball season is happening and we're following these stats. That's how it's going to work. Like a simulated baseball season, our celebration this morning can feel unauthentic because let's be honest, it's not real. We're not really celebrating. It's the same thing 
but it's not the same thing at all. We can pretend that we're excited like the Jerusalem crowds, but we know too much. We know how the story goes. We know what happens to Jesus just a few days after he's welcomed into the city like a king. Regardless, the Palm Sunday narrative gets underway with Jesus asking his disciples to go to a certain town and procure a certain donkey. I'll pick it up in Mark chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. I think that of all the services we'll hold in this season of self-isolation, Palm Sunday is actually the most appropriate because it should feel awkward and it should feel unsettling. And honestly, what's more awkward than a grown man riding on a donkey? What's more unsettling than the creator of the universe being praised with palm branches? Now we'll come back to the parade in a moment, but I wonder how many of us know what happened immediately afterward. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I would have guessed wrong. I had a hunch of what Jesus did next, but when I actually read Mark's account, I realized that there was a detail that somehow I had not paid attention to over all these years. Mark 11, verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem like a king ready to claim his kingdom, but he takes one look around and decides to turn back and go spend the night with his friends in another town. It's like the scene from Three Amigos where these Hollywood actors ride into Santa Poco, brimming with confidence. They're shooting their pretend bullets into the air. They're riding their horses around in circle. And all of a sudden the, the bad guys show up and they start shooting them with actual bullets. And they realize this is real and they hightail it out of there, leaving the village people to fend for themselves. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't running away from what he saw. And based on what happened the next day, I get the impression that the time that Jesus spent in Jerusalem the night before, it may have led to a restless sleep. We read in verse 13, the next day, uh, him and his disciples make their way to Jerusalem again, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Now it seems reasonable enough, but no, Jesus turns and curses the fig tree. It'd be like someone going to an apple orchard today and saying, there are no apples on this tree, Psh, cursing it. Like, no, this isn't the time for apples. Like that's in the fall. This isn't the time for figs. So what was happening here? I think based on what happens next, that Jesus was disappointed with its lack of fruitfulness. And there was something symbolic about this incident. So with the righteous anger bubbling just below the surface, Jesus moves on from the fig tree. We'll pick it up in verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, there is a lot that could be said about this particular incident, but one of the things that I sense in Jesus is a deep disappointment with the fact that things were not the way they were supposed to be. We know a little bit about that these days, don't we? One of the phrases that's been swirling around, I'm sure that we have all used it in the past few days, is the phrase new normal. And that can refer to all kinds of things. Maybe it's you're working from home. This is my new normal. Or maybe it's doing these kind of video calls with friends or family members. This is our new normal. 
Now, there are elements of this COVID-19 world that are bound to stick with us for some time. I read about someone who was suggesting that maybe handshakes are just a thing of the past. Like maybe we don't physically touch each other when we greet anymore on the other side of this. I've been wondering who goes on a cruise after this? Like, how do you put yourself in that situation after we see these cruise ships still driving through the ocean, looking for a place to dock, and you have these images of hundreds of people stuck in their rooms for days and weeks on end. So I wonder, there may be some permanent changes, but we also have an opportunity to intentionally be like Jesus and use this season to overturn some tables and to restore God's rightful place in our lives. The 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, My dear readers, I will not ask for you that God may lay you on a bed of sickness, that he may strip you of all your wealth and bring you to beggary. But oh, if he were to do it and you were to save your souls, it would be the best bargain you could ever make. I was thinking about what this great preacher would say to us today, and I have a feeling it might go something like this. My dear viewers, because of course he would be communicating like this, right? I will not ask God to infect you or the people you love with this virus. I will not ask God to see that you're laid off from work or that the business you've poured yourself into for so many years falters. I will not ask God that you be forced to struggle with the pressures of being at home with young children 24-7. I will not ask God to decimate your retirement savings. But oh, if he were to do it and you were to save your souls, it would be the best bargain you could ever make. Now listen, I am not suggesting that God is behind this pandemic and he is the one making these things happen. Please, for the love of all that is good in the world, do not misunderstand me. But what if the hardships of this season are able to produce in us something of great value? Now, I am so aware of how trite this may sound to some of you, especially those of you who feel like you're crumbling under the weight of this right now. But it's still a question worth asking. What if our new normal isn't just about the things we've lost because of this pandemic? What if our new normal is also about the tables that we overturn and the merchandise that we don't allow to be carried through the temple courts of our lives anymore? It may seem counterintuitive to disrupt our lives when they've already been disrupted, but I learned a new word this week. It's in a book that I just started reading, and the book is about how Christians and churches need to adjust to the rapidly changing world that we live in. And, and they're trying to imagine, the author's trying to imagine a future where there's so much change. And the word that I learned this week is anti-fragile. The author defines it this week, Leonard Sweet. He says, to be anti-fragile is to trust the order behind the chaos, to flourish from random environments rather than establish settings. So the idea is that rather than allowing this unsettled world and these, uh, all these changes to wreck us, could we become the kind of people who actually thrive in this kind of environment? Now, in many ways, that's what we're all being asked to do but we don't have to do it alone. Gregory Boyle runs the largest gang intervention program in the world, Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. He talks about how, while it may be true that when one door closes, another one opens, which is kind of what I'm suggesting here, he says there's a long hallway in between the two. And he encourages his staff to line the hallway. It's a phrase they use, line the hallway, be there. As someone is leaving one way of life and making their way to another way of life, be there out in the hall, cheering them on, encouraging them, helping them. 
We need to be the kind of people who will help others make it from one door to the next, from the closed door of our past to the wide open door of our shared future. When we begin to gather together uh, on a morning like this, we have a call to worship that says that one of the reasons we gather like this is that we want to recenter ourselves on the story of Jesus. We want to build our lives on the pattern of the life that Jesus lived. So let's go back to that Palm Sunday parade. Mark 11, verse 9 and 10, those who went ahead and those who follow shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Even though things were not as they should be, Jesus' arrival was a sign to the crowds that God was with them and that God was at work redeeming their broken world. And it's important to understand, as N.T. Wright puts it, that the whole point of what Jesus was up to and what he was doing close up in the present was what he was promising long term in the future. And so there we have a good reason to celebrate on Palm Sunday the way that we do. Not only was Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem a sign that God had responded to his people then and there, it was a sign that God will respond to our prayers and will come to us as well. But for now, we are the ones charged with the task of making our own way to Jerusalem. Eugene Peterson writes, it was to make us followers of Jesus that this text was given to us in the first place. And if either the large story or the detailed sentences are ever used for anything else, however admirable or enticing, why bother? Now, the reason we read this story is so that we can pattern our lives around Jesus. And if he was willing to make a journey to Jerusalem, we need to be willing to make that same journey. I was reading somewhere or listening to someone this week who talked about this idea that we just want to hit pause on life. And, and actually everything that's going on around us feels like we've our lives have been put on pause. But the truth is, there is no such thing. Life keeps going. We need to adjust. We need to keep moving forward. The journey of Lent hasn't been paused. It's kept going right on past the celebration of Palm Sunday. And that's the journey that we need to continue to make. At the end of this incident where Jesus is overturning the tables in the temple courts, the Bible says that the chief priests and teachers of the law heard his teaching and what he was doing, and they began to look for a way to kill him. This is not a path that is incredibly enticing to us, but it's the path we're asked to walk. Our role is to follow Jesus, both in times of celebration and times of crucifixion. And the question that I want to leave lingering in our minds this week is, will we? I'd like to wrap up with a quote from Paulo Coelho, and then I'm going to pray for our time together. He writes, a week is more than enough time for us to decide whether or not to accept our destiny. And that's what this week is about. More than enough time for us to decide, are we willing to follow Jesus, not only in times of celebration, but in times of crucifixion? Are we willing to walk this road with him? Let us pray. God, I'm grateful once again for the opportunity that we have to gather together like this across our community. I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to crack open our Bibles and read this story of you responding to the prayers of your people. And I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to see ourselves in that story, that we are those same people who have to celebrate you and we are those same people who have to follow you into the week that comes. 
God, you have called us into this holy week to make this journey toward Jerusalem, not only when things are going great, but when things are going really bad, when the future's looking dim. God, you call us to follow you. And so I ask that this week we would have an awareness of your presence with us as we make this journey. Go with us in Christ's name. Amen.